Howdy, you're listening to Think Brazos, a podcast dedicated to improving housing affordability, economic opportunity, and financial stability in Brazos County. Think Brazos is a project of Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Alexa. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Think Brazos and give us a stunning review. And just remember, think local, think Brazos. Your housing costs are impacted by policies at every single level of government. So housing's always on the ballot. That's why Think Brazos is excited to share with you these local candidate interviews so that you're ready to vote down ballot in the election this November. As you'll find out soon, county commissioners hold an important job. So you'll want to listen to this interview and the opponent's interview before voting in the November election. The two candidates running for this office to replace longtime commissioner Sammy Catalina are Jane Sherman and Russ Ford. In this episode, Charles Coates interviews Jane Sherman, who is running as a Democrat for County Commissioner Precinct 2. We'll leave a link for her opponent Russ Ford's interview in the show notes. Now on to the interview. We're glad to be joined by Jane Sherman, who is a candidate for Correct me if I'm wrong, Precinct 2 of the Brazos County Commissioner's Court. Is that right? Yes. Right. Yes, that's correct. Well, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. And we definitely are excited to get to talk a little bit about, you know, what your plans are for the county and that sort of thing. But first off, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background and why are you running for a Commissioner's Court? Right. Well, I grew up here in Bryan College Station. I graduated at Consol in 96 and I actually went out of state for college and studied ethnic studies and psychology as my undergrad at Berkeley. And then I got an MBA at Eastern University studying international economic development. I've spent most of my life working in nonprofit sector from everything from direct service to being a consultant, doing strategy with board members and executive committees to figure out how to best achieve their mission. And as you know, <laughs> Charlie, I worked at Habitat as the marketing director for multiple years here in Bryan College Station most recently. I moved back to Bryan College Station about eight years ago to start a family here because we love this community and I think it's a great place to raise a family. I'm running for a county commissioner because I feel that we need more voices to advocate for the diversity of needs our residents have. And without having everyone at the table, the county commissioners cannot prioritize what services to provide that the community most needs. So that's why I'm running. And my priorities are number one, transparency and access. I've talked to so many people about my race and no one has a clue (laughs) what actually falls under the purview of the county commissioner's court. And so that's really important because if people don't know what they're elected officials are doing or what the county is providing, there's no way for them to keep them accountable and for them to access the service that exists and to advocate for services they need. And so that's my number one priority is just transparency. Number two, what I'm hearing and also what I have experienced or not personally experienced, but know people who have experienced is the lack of mental health services our county has. And now, especially with the closing down Rock Prairie Mental Health Center, we've lost the one facility for people to go to that a lot of people go to. And I'm hearing stories about people who are driving to Austin, to Houston, to Waco to get services. And that's not just for people who can afford 
to pay, but it's for people who can't. And also actually for our jail system. We are driving people who are in our jails to these services. And that is not efficient way to provide the mental health services that our county is required to provide. Also, my third priority, of course, is getting ahead of the development, making sure that our infrastructure is there to support the rapid growth of our major metropolitan areas, Bryan College Station, and to ensure that affordable housing, uh, housing affordability is a priority when we look at how to encourage um, development and housing stock that's sure. in Brazos County. Sure. So let me back up just for a minute. I think you kind of alluded to some of the things that a county commissioner does, but mm-hmm. generally speaking, for our listeners, what are the main, I guess, authority that a county commissioner has? What are the main duties that they have to uphold? Right. So, you know, multiple parts. The county commissioners, they, of course, are in charge of maintaining and building roads and bridges. And that's why I think what a lot of people think about when they think about county commissioners and what they're responsible for. But they are also responsible for financing the court system, the jails and juvenile detention centers. So when, you know, we when they decide to, we need more space, more beds in the juvenile detention centers and they want to build out the juvenile detention centers, that requires the approval from the commissioner's court. The number of courts we have to process people moving through the court system, you know, that requires money and funding and the court commissioner's court are in charge of allocating funds for that if they consider it necessary. They are also in charge of the elections and making sure that it's a fair elections, people have access to their right to vote, right? And how that's done. They regulate that. They also own properties like the Expo Center and the Brazos Center, and those facilities are used for community. And also they fund the Brazos County Health District, right? Along with the other municipalities here, City of Bryan, City College Station. And so on the finance side, they control the purse strings of a lot of services in our community. On the regulation side, they regulate the development of subdivisions and Um, They enforce um, those regulations. I was looking at your website, which is a great website, by the way, your your campaign website. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you have in there is that you are going to come up with innovative solutions to some of the problems that you see at the county level. Can you give us an idea of an example of some of these problems and a solution that you might have for them? Well, I mean, since we're talking affordable housing here with Habitat, the problem that we have in this community is the lack of affordable housing, right? Right. It's a housing affordability issue that not only we are facing in our county, but across the nation because there is a lack of housing stock, right? And so we need to either increase or maintain, increase housing stock at lower price points or maintain the housing stock we have that, you know, the houses at lower price points are not getting raised and big mansions being built in this place. And so for the county, some of the things that other counties have done is to incentivize builders to incorporate affordable homes in their subdivision plans, right? Another way is to incentivize homeowners who own homes at the lower price points to maintain the homes that they have. So there are different ways that the counties and other local municipalities and states and federal government does that, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways is to allow for smaller lot sizes in subdivisions, mm-hmm. right? I, I believe in Asheville, North Carolina, the county up there, they have they have given bonus density points to developers to allow in them the to county. build in the county wow. to build smaller lots, uh, to build on smaller lots if they incorporate affordable housing in their plans. Another way that something that I've discovered recently as I've been doing a lot of research on this is that the county is not obligated to maintain subdivision roads. That's something that they can accept to do for those subdivisions. And so what if we, you know, thinking outside of the box here, said that if you sub, you know, developer incorporate you know, affordable homes in your development, then we will accept the maintenance for these roads for you. Uh, one of the issues, first, let me let me back up. I mentioned this to your opponent as well, is that whether or not we like it or not, low-income folks are out of necessity being forced into the more rural areas. It's just right. because they're getting priced out of the city. You see it in mm-hmm. Austin, Bastrop is getting hit really hard. And outside of that community, just because of Austin's explosion in affordable housing. So, so this is going to be something that the county's going to have to look at one way or right. another. One of the, the difficulties, though, in building affordably in rural areas is that you mentioned smaller lots. A lot of these lots would have to be hooked up to septic. And so you have to have a certain amount of square footage to be able to do that if you have a septic tank. Would you be looking at, you know, possibly the county in pursuit of affordable housing, you know, maybe looking at more services in some of these rural areas to allow for those smaller lots. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Right. Well, the the lot sizes are regulated by the Texas Commission of Environmental Quality, right? That requires a minimum of one acre if that lot doesn't have access to public sewers and it doesn't have access to public water, but it's actually half an acre if it has access to public water. And so they're a wiggle room, right, to think about, you know, the actual lot sizes instead of just having a blanket policy or regulation that requires one acre lot. Perhaps there's already services out there, especially in the ETJ, that has sewer and water services, right? And the interesting thing about ETJs is that the regulations, uh, the building regulations um, within the ETJs have to follow the Bryan College Station I forget what it's called, but their regulations for building, right? right? If it's an urban subdivision, if it's a rural subdivision, then it's regulated by the county. And so we we have to look at what services are already there, right? And and I bet there are a lot of services out there already that we can work with without saying that we're going to put out more services out there because it's really expensive. And we have to consider what the county actually has and can afford to do, right? And so thinking about what we currently have rather and reevaluating that with newer lenses, I think is the first step. You mentioned about managing growth in the county earlier. How do you think the county is going to be affected by the 2019 law at the state level that really pretty much put a halt on annexation of territory Mm -hmm. outside of the cities, except for if the area itself wants to be annexed. So that is, you know, by a vote of the people. So Brian or College Station can't just keep doing business as usual and moving farther and farther out into the county and thus taking on those responsibilities. So 
how do you think that's going to affect the job of the commissioner's court and running the county? Right. Well, I think that's going to be a challenge for the county, of course. And I think all the counties are reevaluating their relationships with the cities, right? Who's paying for what services. And so that's definitely something that we need to discuss, right, going forward. I think it's going to be a big issue because the ETJs are five miles out of the city limits, right? And so for the longest time, Bryan College Station have already decided that those are going to be areas that they're going to incorporate, right? And so they've already started putting in the services going out into the ETJs, right? So we're really looking at what's beyond that five mile limit, which if you look at our map, you know, there are sections of the county that are outside of the ETJ and we need really need to focus on those areas when we think about what the county is planning to do to provide services and what kind of services it's going to provide. We've kind of breezed through a lot of the questions that I had for you. Yeah, well, um, I, I wanted to I wanted to circle back, actually, sure. about housing stock, affordable housing stock. Sure. You know, I, I think we touched upon how to incentivize builders to build more affordable housing, but we haven't really talked about how to incentivize homeowners to maintain the existing housing stock, right, or renovators and, or whatnot. And some of the ways I think that the county can do that is perhaps offer, say, tax abatement for it home improvements, right? Uh, one of the things that I hear a lot from homeowners, one, uh, one of the first times I heard this was when my husband and I bought a house, really run down house and we renovated it. And we had a neighbor that was upset that we were doing that because he's like, well, that's going to increase my property value, <laughs> you know? And th- so there's a real fear, especially among people who are low income on, on, or on fixed income of tax increases. And so his ho- he hasn't made improvement on his house for decades because he didn't want his taxes to go up, right? And so if we can offer some kind of a tax abatement for houses valued at below a certain point, that could be a way to maintain the housing stock, the you know, affordable housing stock. Another way is to, you know, to help reduce the cost of home ownership for people um, of lower income is to provide tax exemptions for lower income homeowners, right? We provide exemptions for you know, homestead, we, we provide the um, people over 65 with an exemption. We, we actually, I believe, freeze that tax assessment right. value of their homes if they're over 65. What if we thought about freezing the, the valuation of their homes for say, people who make you know, 80% of the average income in our community? You've been traveling around the county, I assume, and and rural areas as well. Have you Mm -hmm. been traveling around quite a bit? So you've you've gotten to see the precinct and meet some of the people. And a lot of what you've been talking about is really incentivizing affordable housing in the county, in the rural areas as well, which is something, at least for Habitat, that we haven't done a whole lot of building out there. Do you think there's going to be a lot of pushback from a lot of the people that live out there if you've got a commissioner who is really you know, uh, has this as a part of their their platform to really try and get more affordable housing in the county? I think there are a lot of people in the county that are there because it's more affordable to live out there. Um, And I think people live in the county because it's a lifestyle, right? They appreciate being out there, but also it's, it is more affordable than living in, in the city's Bryan College Station. But I think there is a wrong perception of what affordable housing look like, right? We're thinking projects, we're thinking of, you know, government housing, right? We're thinking unemployed, low income, you know, people, 
higher crime rates and all of that, right? And that's something I think Habitat has done a great job of changing because we know that families who live in stable, decent, affordable housing are good residents that contribute to the improvement of their neighborhoods. We've seen that in Bryan College Station, like say out in Angels Gate, you know, when that subdivision went up, the neighborhood changed around them because they saw, wow, look, my neighbor's house is so nice. My house looks like crap. Let's paint it, you know? And so I think we, it's, it's a perception thing more than an actual factual thing, you know, about affordable housing that people have. So let me switch gears here. Jane Sherman, when she's not running for high office, what does she like to do? You know, on a personal level, what are some of the things that you like to do? Well, right now I'm a mom of two young kids. So I love spending time with my kids and they are teaching me a lot. We are doing online schooling. So I'm going through first grade and second grade again right now. (laughs) That's fun Um, and challenging at the same time. My husband and I, we love innovation and entrepreneurship. And so um, we are launching a mobile app called Jobportunity that allows people to list their services and transact with their neighbors through a mobile device, right? Um, And also I am a creative person. I've written a book on my experience as a missionary in Caracas, Venezuela in South America. I'm also paint, I do oil paintings, I do figure drawing. Right now, one of my, I guess, breaks every week is going to do figure drawing at the Purple Turtle, downtown Bryan, so. Very cool, that's awesome. Well, you know, I I promised that we would do a short interview here. So let me just, just leave it with this. What differentiates you from your opponent And why do you think that you deserve the vote for precinct two commissioner? Right. Well, I don't really know Ross Ford. I I met him one time and he seems like a nice guy. What I'm bringing to the table is a different perspective that is currently not present on the commissioner's court. Um, And so in order for our residents to feel heard and for them to have their needs and concerns addressed, I think we need someone like me on the commissioner's court who is willing to think outside the box, to listen to their issues and to push the commissioner's court in addressing those needs by providing services that our community needs. Well, thank you so much. If one of our listeners wants to get in touch with you or wants to follow you or help with your campaign, how could they do that? Right. Well, they can go to my website, www.janesshermanforcommissioner.com. I also have a Facebook page, or they can email me at jane at janesshermanforcommissioner.com. Perfect. Well, Jane, thanks so much for being with us today. This was, again, Jane Sherman running for Commissioner's Court Precinct 2. Election is November 4th. Third. Third. I keep getting that mistake. Early voting, October 13th, Tuesday, October 13th to Friday, October 30th. Perfect. And you need to be registered. Check your registration by, I think, October 5th. Absolutely. We want everybody to be voting in this election. But again, thanks so much, Jane. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Think Brasses. Be sure to check out our other interviews and let us know what you think by leaving us a review. And when you're at the ballot box, Just remember, think local, think Brazos.